I guess it started one morning. I was sitting in church, uh, just a regular Sunday morning, and um, the pastor was talking about missions and long-term and commitment and all of these kinds of things. And I guess normally that would that would impact me a little bit, but this time it was it was different somehow. It was like God was pounding on my chest, and I just got this huge smile on my face. And I was ready. I just started looking at my life and asking myself, what would it look like for me to be on mission all the time and devote my life to that and become a missionary, I guess. I remember growing up in church that missionaries would come visit. I was just always captivated by their stories. And I knew that there was a, a world that was so much bigger than my backyard and that there were people in that world who needed to hear about Jesus. And I just, I've always wanted to get out there and have the ability to, to tell people about Jesus and see that transform lives. I just kept hearing the same words, planting seeds, nurture, water, tend, person by person, life by life. Don't wait. You're ready. Just go. I felt like I was kind of waiting around, like, is this something that God would call me into? And, and when would that happen? Where would I go? What would it look like? And then all of a sudden, it was like this lightning bolt, like, there it is. There it is. It's, I mean, it seemed almost obvious. My name is Bradley Martin, and I am answering God's call to go, and I am a missionary. Yeah, that's good, right? Um, so we are in an entire month that we're calling Missional May, and every week we are focusing on a little different aspect or, or a, a different aspect of what God has called us all to. And so I grew up a missionary kid. I went to another country with my parents. They were called to be missionaries in another country. And here's something I want us all to really remember, because this isn't my words. This is really what God has called us to. If you're not called to be a missionary in Chile or in Colombia or in Africa, you're called to be a missionary here. Amen? I know there's some reluctancy there, but you can go to the, go to the Scripture, and you can see it for yourself. Jesus says... As the Father has sent me, so I now send you. And he says that to each one of us. Not just some of us, but each one of us. So every one of us in this room, if we are followers of Jesus Christ, the essence of being a follower of Jesus, of Jesus Christ is being willing to be sent, to being willing to be a missionary where we live. So this week, the focus is on our city. It's on, on, on our neighborhoods, where God has put us, and recognizing that the people that God has put us around, we are missionaries to them. And, and that we have, the, here's the cool thing about being a missionary. 
And I know this because I've been a missionary in Chile and I've also been a missionary here. When you're a missionary, you get to see some really cool stuff. You get a first row seat in what God is doing in people's lives. Isn't that incredible? And you get to be a part of that. And so this week, uh, we have an awesome guest that's going to come up and talk with us. He's not really a guest. He's been around a ton. Um, but I just want to, I want to remind us of something that we've, that we've started. Uh, one of them we started a while back, and the other one just more recently. Uh, if you walked in, you should have gotten one of these. If not, they're available out at the welcome counter. This one's all about your neighborhood. Who's my neighbor? And getting to know them. And this one's all about who's my neighbor at work. Uh, if you were here about a month ago, we had a, a, a guest who was talking about being a missionary, that, God, that you are a paid missionary that happens to work at Rackspace or wherever you're at. And it's so true. That's what God has called each one of us to, to do is to be a missionary where we're at. So I have a, a quick picture here. I, and I do this only, I don't do this because I'm trying to like brag about anything because it's not even anything to brag about. But it's rather, so it's the, the, the map of, of my neighborhood. Um, I do this because I want it to be encouraging to you guys. I want it to be encouraging to any of, any of you who feel like, oh, man, I've been in my neighborhood. And maybe some of you are just knocking it out of the park. You're like missionaries to your neighbors, and you're doing amazing things. You guys get together all the time. You do things for them. They do things for you. Um, but for many of us, I think it can be a struggle, right? Listen, out of every place I've ever lived, San Antonio was the hardest place to get to know our neighbors. Anybody, anyone relate to that at all? Uh, so I see some, some hands. We, when we got here, we instantly wanted to get to know our neighbors, but it seemed like everybody would drive into our neighborhood, drive into their garage, and before you could even get to them, the garage door shuts, right? And still to this day, I have one neighbor, he's like across the, across the street and th two houses down, that I still don't even know his name, because every time I see him, I'm like, hey, how's it going? And he's like turns and runs, and I don't know why he's afraid of me, I don't know what's going on. Uh, I just like to imagine that I have, like, these angels around me and it scares them. I don't know. That's just a thought. Maybe that's not what's going on. Um, but it, about a year into living in our neighborhood, we, we felt kind of discouraged because we didn't really know a lot of the people and we didn't, we didn't know much about them. Um, but I really had a desire to get to know them. And so I just kind of started, like, doing more, trying to be outside, trying to interact and I had what I think is an open door and opportunity. On our next door website, our neighbors right across the street to the left, uh, they posted that their cat ran away or that they lost their cat. And so um, I just thought, here's an opportunity. Let's go over there. Let's engage them. Let's pray for their cat. And so we went across the street. They answered the door, and they're kind of like, what's going on? And I said, you know what? We're here. We want to pray that, you find, that God would help you find your cat. And they were so, like, moved by that. You wouldn't think that that would be a big deal, but they were really, really excited to have us there. So my kids and I, we prayed for their cat. I honestly don't know if their cat ever came back. I don't think it did. Um, so hopefully they don't see that as, like, God answered. No, I'm just kidding. It's all good. We've talked about it. But, um, but it just opened a door. And so since that moment, we've had great interaction with them. And then our neighbor to, to our left, kind of the same thing. I just started praying for her. So I have this sitting in my office, and I have their names now. And when I look at it, I just pray for them. And I just want to tell you, the power of prayer combined with relationship is an, is an incredible thing. And we don't just stop at this, but this is one of the first steps that we can do is just to get to know the people, the people next to us. So, this, so right next to us, her name is Rosie. And I just asked her one day, out of the blue, I just after I'd known her for a couple of years, I said, is, what's going on? Is everything okay? Is there anything I can be praying for you about? 
And she started opening up about her son and started crying and was really, really emotional. And so I had the opportunity right there to pray with her and to just intervene about just a situation with her son. And God has done incredible, incredible awesome stuff with with her son. And so these are just examples of how God will use you if you'll just be willing to step out, just step across the street, step next door. And uh, so it's taken four and a half years, but just the other day I was talking with Rosie and I said, hey, why don't we have like a neighborhood taco night soon? And she was like, yeah, that sounds amazing. We'll invite all the neighbors. So that's in the works right now. And it took a long time, but listen, God just says, just take a step out and don't be afraid. You know, the Bible verse, and I'll end with this, that says God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. Do you know that that's talking about evangelism? That scripture is talking about not being afraid to, to be a witness in this world, not being afraid to step out. And so then beyond our neighborhood, we have our workplace. And beyond our workplace, we have our city that we're called to love. Amen. God has called us to, to this city, to love this city while we are here. And, and the Bible says that when we, that we are to go to the ends of the earth, but where does it say to start? It says to start in Jerusalem, right where you're at. And so we all have an incredible opportunity here in this city. In fact, 2 Corinthians, God calls us, in 2 Corinthians, God calls us his ambassadors. So we all get to be his ambassadors. So this week, we have Charlie Foltz, who lives on the east side with his amazing family. And uh, over the last four and a half years, I've gotten to, to be... Um, uh, just to spend a lot of time with Charlie and become good friends and just to hear what God is doing in his context. And he's got just an amazing word that he's going to share with us. So can we just open up our hearts to receive what God wants to share with us this morning? I believe it will really inspire our hearts to, to feel the heart of God towards our city, towards our neighbors, and towards the people that we live around. So give it up for Charlie Foltz, everybody. Good morning, everybody. So some of you know me, some of you don't. I used to sit over kind of in this area till Miss Jan kind of pushed me out of the way and I had to shift my seat. And I've forgiven her, of course, but, uh, you know. Uh, but no, I was, I was at Lifehouse about seven, eight years ago, and um, it was uh, a really great chapter in my life. Um, and it was really uh, almost the beginning of the story uh, for S.A. Heels. And, um, you know, we all have these stories, right? We all have these stories that God is writing for our lives. The, the Bible is this story of Jesus, this love story. And I believe that he has this unique love story sort of for each and every one of us. Though, Although we sit in these seats, like I was sitting in these seats, not, not knowing what to expect or to anticipate, but they're, they're, to, to say yes, to, to say amen, right? When, when uh, Jeremy's like, we're all called to be missionaries here. And everyone's like, amen, sort of, maybe, maybe not me, you know. But to say yes, to say amen to the call to love. Uh, where he's placed us to love the the place and the space that he's put us is is such a unique opportunity and, and like jeremy said you get a front row seat now that doesn't mean it's always as exciting because when you get front row seats whether it's at a concert or a spurs game let's say in the playoffs all of a sudden you're devastated when <laughs> things don't always go the way that you want them to but uh so but to be present to be part of stories is is sacred to be allowed into someone's story is, is sacred and, and so my story actually didn't start um as well as I would have liked it to, although from a worldly standpoint it did. I was sort of a golden child, straight A's, golf scholarship, sort of was just primed and ready to take over the world. My dad wanted me to, to be a, a physician, a, a doctor, and so I was in medical school and uh, just started to slowly take the turn. And uh, I did, ended up choosing to, to get a PhD and 
use that to, to pursue a, a career in coaching and health and wellness and had these amazing opportunities to work with professional athletes and Olympic athletes and go all over the world. Everything you could want, everything you're told that you should want was literally mine. There was nothing other than the fact I was completely empty, other than the fact that it didn't fill me up or fulfill me at all. And so when I was, when I was here, um, um, it led to a lot of anger and arrogance and alcohol and ultimately adultery that sort of ruined my family, broke my family, and uh, really didn't stop me very much. You know, I was still so broken inside, but I put on this facade and this thing to just keep moving forward, that the world will, will reward the efforts and the things that we desire are so good, even though they really, they really leave us nowhere. The riches are really true poverty in a worldly sense. The, the kingdom has this other way of doing things, and so he finally said, like, this is enough. Your way, enough of your way. Now let's do it my way, and I wish I could say that it was this sort of call on this road with this, you know, eureka moment, and everything turned, and it was just a miracle, um, but really it wasn't. I, I came to church for the first time. I didn't grow up in church, and so I wanted to date this girl that goes to church, and so the motives of my heart were not pure, but at least I'm honest about that. Uh, and so anyway, I went to church and, you know, it was okay. You know, wasn't wasn't immediately saved and ran up to get baptized. Although some of you in here feel like you're supposed to get baptized. I'm sure they can figure it out for you today. Uh, but, you know, I, it took some time. I was, you know, just so steeped in the world and my arrogance. And But over time, this pastor, this other guy really loved on me and, and led me to the Lord. And so then what I did was I, I did what all good Christians do. I joined a small group and went to church on Sundays, and I got ready to go to Mexico on my first mission trip and build a house. And, uh, you know, something happened. There was a shooting down in Mexico, the cartel, whatever, and we were getting ready to go, and I was so afraid. And it was the first time my faith uh, really was tested, you know, and I, I wasn't ready. I, I didn't want to go. I was so afraid and tears and um, read this devotional right before because I wasn't going to go, and it was on John 15. It's this story about how Jesus is a vine, and we are the branches, and it's about this gardener that prunes and cuts back things. And so at the end of it, it's like, do you want me to quit pruning you? Just like Jesus always does with these questions that just sort of go right into our heart and reveal, and I said, man, yes, you know, and, and I just took a step. And, you know, and that step was, I think, the first step of my real faith, where I was living by faith, uh, not by sight, where I was allowing my faith to overcome my fear. And so then I can't even say that then it was this pretty picture, right? Because I still wrestled. I still had all this arrogance and anger and this thing that needed to be worked out um, with the Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And I was just super fortunate to have really patient people investing in me, discipling me, walking with me. And conversations weren't always courteous, right? That there was a lot of arguments at times and disagreements and you know, although SA Heals was birth care in many ways, that there were some things that Pastor Ryan and I completely agreed on, and then there's other things that we, we didn't, you know. And, and, but different people here just continued to kind of walk and, and, and help me and, and really then to send me off to this thing that God had for us on the east side. So we lived here in Stone Oak, and we moved to the east side. And so just to, to paint the picture of the east side for most people in the room, I'm sure you've been to some sort of, uh, Spurs event or different thing at the AT&T Center. So as you leave, you're sort of driving out and you're sort of locking your car and 
making sure that you're not making eye contact with anybody to quickly navigate back to GPS, get me, you know, the quickest route possible. And, um, but that's my home, and I love it. And it's, it's got problems. It does. But, man, I, I love it because I think that's where God has called me to and, and placed us and, and rooted us in this community. And it's not just about the brokenness. It's about the beauty that you can find. And it's not all about the chaos. It's about the calm that's created. And so we're so grateful to go down there, and, and our response is, is to start this organization, SA Heals. And it didn't start with this big plan. I, my friend Michael's here. We were drawing up this thing on a whiteboard. I'm a whiteboard guy, and he's like, you don't even know what the hell you're talking about. And I don't know if I'm supposed to say hell in church, but, you know, you know it's like, it is what it is. Yeah, I was quoting him, so I think I'm safe. I was quoting him, so I think I'm safe. And so, but anyway, it really, you know where it started? It started with me sitting across the table with a kid, 30 minutes, once a week. That was it, 30 minutes once a week, mentoring a kid, that was it. No grand plan, no big scheme, no master strategy, just sitting with some kid. And then from that essay, Hills is formed, and, and we love these kids, and we mentor these kids, and we try to help them learn how to read, and, and we, we try to stand in the gap, you know? And, and, and with all that, it's really about the influence, right? We're trying to influence them, right, to be present with them. And it's not just about a kid, because if you can influence one person, you can influence anything, right? Just to be present. 30 minutes of that time is, is sacred, right, to get to know their story and to be part of that story. And so ultimately, though, when someone asks about SA Heals, right, I can't really just talk about our programs. Yes, we mentor. Yes, we do food bags and feeding programs. Yeah, we, we help kids through reading buddies. We do this thing called Affordable Christmas. We do that stuff. But you can't talk about programs without talking about people. And I can't give you statistics without really telling you stories because then what difference are we ultimately making? Is it for us and our sake or for them and theirs? And so this is really what it's about. When, when I was asked by Jeremy to come and what does it look like to love where you live, to be a missionary here and now, to, to sort of be, be that light in, in your neighborhood or in your corner or ultimately in your city, what, it, what does that do? And all I know how to do in that is to really ultimately try to tell stories. So with that, I'm going to tell you the stories of a couple kids. Uh, I'm going to put their picture on the screen here. And so um, these are my two of my kids. Uh, one on the right is Lamont. He was given to me by God. And um, the one on the left is Kirsten, who God's asked me to go after. And it, it really is these two stories. And the story of Lamont, I mean, he's ridiculously adorable. And, um, and uh, you know, he, uh, he had a mom. Her name was, uh, was Sarah on the street. She's known as Star. Um, when we moved down, we didn't know what to do. So we tried everything. We were handing out food and just being that weird Christian sometimes, out awkwardly introducing ourselves to people. And they were like, First, they thought we were the cops, you know, and, and we were the church people, and finally, we're just Charlie and Jan, and we sort of navigated that weird awkwardness, but, but with Sarah, you know, she was out walking the streets, and when you walk the streets in our neighborhood, you're not just getting exercise, you know, up here, you're, you're out, you're getting healthy and fit, when, when you're down there and you're walking, you're, you're working, you know, you're, you're working the streets, and whether that's through prostitution or drugs or, or something along that. And that's not everyone, but that's, that's a lot of the stories, right? And so instead of, of looking at her as a prostitute or a problem, we, we looked at her as a person. 
like a real person with a story. We got to know her and, and learn that when she was 12 that, that she was raped. And when she was 20, she was kidnapped and brought to Mexico. And then all of a sudden, the fact that she's now a prostitute and, and an addict starts to make a little bit more sense, right? You start to hear her story. You start to understand a little bit differently the why kind of behind the what. And so she was pregnant with, with Lamont. And we had, this was no thing where we were this white couple that wanted to adopt this baby. And we, we just wanted to love her. We just invited her into our home. It says that, you know, Jesus said, when I was hungry, you, you gave me food. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. But then it also says, when I was a stranger, you invited me in, you know. And so we just invited her in. And, I mean, dang near killed me with all the things I had to do. We actually had two pregnant girls living with us that summer, and my wife was, we call her, uh, she has a cotton candy ministry. She's real soft and sweet, so she says yes to, to everything, and I'm, I am her errand boy, you know? And, and, but ultimately, our goal was just to get these babies there safe. And, and what happened in that process is, you know, we didn't want it to be an us and them, but just a we, and we wanted to love her till that was what happened. And, and, and Sarah, um, loved Lamont so much that she let us love him too. You know, she, she allowed us to be part of his story and ultimately her story. And so as we, as we seek to sort of love where we live in our neighborhoods, we have to realize that everyone has a story and we need to know what people's stories are. We need to know one another's stories because you can come in and out of these doors, sit in the seats, be here for five, 10 years and really not ultimately know one another. So how do we learn the story? This is the whole idea. How do you love where you live? And how do you learn to know someone's story? And it may seem obvious if we ask the kids, I think they would probably get it. Or when you're talking to your kids, I'm sure the advice that most of you, you need to listen. You tell your, your kids, you need to listen. Well, they need to tell you the same thing. You need to start to listen to people. Jesus would say, he who has ears, let them hear. We need to listen to people, not to talk at people, right? The church is really good about talking, really horrible at listening. And here's the thing. People are dying to be heard. Look at social media. Look at people's lives. It's just a cry to be heard, to be seen, to be known. It's right there in front of us, yet we're completely, absolutely blinded to this fact, and there's this story um, that I told about the Columbine shooting of the schools. There's been so many that sort of have happened since that one, but it was kind of the first one, and these kids went up and shot the school in Colorado, and um, they listened to this um, musician, Marilyn Manson, and um, some of you know about him, whether you'd admit it or not, but let's just say he's not uh, walking with the Lord. Okay, and so... Uh, you know, and, and he was sort of being attacked because the kids said they listened to him and they're trying to cast blame on him and saying that he influenced them in, in this and that the motives and of his music and stuff. And so like, what would you tell them now? He's like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't tell them anything. He said I would listen to them because that's all that they wanted was, was to be heard in that moment. And so there's this thing that when you listen to someone, you, you get to know their story. And here's the unique thing about when you actually know someone and know their story you get to write yourself into that story now you get to write yourself into that story and see that's what Jesus did for us he wrote himself into the story 
he wrote himself into our story. It says the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. It's him writing himself into the story, right? And, and in that, how do we do that? It first starts about being present, being present with people. It's a lost art. We don't know how to do it. Everything's done by text and, and this, Snapchat, and you, I mean, we're just continuing to distance and detach ourselves from one another. And we're so busy and distracted. And to be present is this lost art, right? And in that, we have to be patient then, like Jeremy said. San Antonio is a tough city for whatever reason. I don't, I don't know. It just is. So you have to be present and you have to be patient. And ultimately, you have to be persistent. I don't know, Jeremy, if you noticed. I was looking at your picture this time and it says, persistence to the resistance on your on your thing it's like man we're like unagi right now it's amazing right we have to be present and patient and persistent because that's when you learn quit trying to teach become a student learn people's stories listen to people's stories quit trying to teach them what their story should be or tell them how their story should be written Right? Because then and only then can you respond to that person and their story, not just react to that problem. Right? How do I know this is true? Jesus is always a good teacher, right? What does he say? The healthy people do not need a doctor, sick people do. Right? And in that, in Stone Oak, we're obviously wealthy, but we're not healthy. Right? There's debt and depression and divorce and you name it. Who knows, really? Because it's all hidden. It's hidden behind the facade. It's locked behind the gate. It's as you pull into the garage, and nobody really knows, right? But how does this work, really? Because what happens when you go to a doctor? They listen to your heart. They listen to your lungs. They learn about your symptoms and your history, and then they know how to respond. Then they know how to treat you so that if we then approach a person like a healer, like a doctor, and we, we listen to them, and we learn about them, we know how to respond. Quit approaching people like you're a lawyer. You know, you're not the judge. You're not the, the one looking to convict and condemn and blame. We have to be healers so that we can help people in our neighborhoods. So with that being said, who's sick in your life? And if you don't know, you need to start to listen. That's the way it starts. That's how you love where you live. It's not this crazy, complicated thing. It's just can you listen to someone and not make it about you? Can you try to understand as opposed to always trying to be understood, making it about you instead of trying to be about them? It's simple, but it's not easy. But I believe it's what we're called to do as we love our community. But also as we love where we live, right? It's not just about loving our community. It's about loving our city, right? And, and San Antonio has a story for sure. Um, story of the Alamo, right? Everyone know the story of the Alamo? If I quizzed you, would you know the story of the Alamo? I know I would miss some. I didn't take Texas history, so I know that I'm going to be guessing or looking at somebody's paper, you know. Uh, but, but in that... There's a story that's sort of behind the story, right? There's always more to the story. See, the east side didn't just become the east side because just a bunch of people who made a bunch of bad choices, 
right? Do you know that San Antonio is the most socioeconomically segregated city in the United States for three years in a row? So as we sit in this area and we were sort of take the average income and, and what people make up here and you average that out and then you go down to the east side, near east side, near west side, and you do the same. The, it's the biggest gap from rich to poor in our city over any other city in the country. And with all the disparity in our country, it probably means potentially in the world. We're sitting in that in the world. And, and when Jesus talked about his early church, he said there would be no need among you. So living in Texas in the Bible Belt, we've got to start to rethink this thing, right? Because with the segregation, it doesn't just stop with money, right? There's racial segregation, segregation within our schools, and ultimately and most sadly, segregation within our churches, within God's people. There is no unity like we talked about earlier. There's just this isolation and this insulation from these different problems. It's in the story of the rich man and Lazarus, how he would sort of step over the poor man that was in front of him. We don't have to do that in Stone Ridge. We've distanced ourselves from that poor man, so we never have to see them, never have to be bothered by them, right? There's a problem with that. We're missing out on the opportunity to listen and to learn. And let me be clear on this. Poverty, not people, causes these problems. Lack of opportunity, not just material poverty, but lack of hope, lack of opportunity. The poverty that, that comes is creating these problems. And so for SA Heals, we are about fighting poverty and trying to provide hope for the people in our city. And that's something that we all need to be about. Because in this story, we don't just need to write ourselves into the story. We need to help rewrite the story. This story needs to be rewritten. And how that happens is first through awareness. Because what happens up here with our mentality and in a lot of our arrogance at times is we just rush in and think that we can solve anything. We can solve it all, right? But if that type of thinking and that way of doing things worked, we wouldn't have the problems that we currently have, right? Because the same type of thinking that created the problems is not the same type of thinking that would solve the problems. So we need to, to, to pause just for a minute and to look, to see things differently. And then once we've learned, we can proceed with action. Again, Jesus would say, he who has eyes, let them see. Because ultimately, we see what we already believe. Biases and blind spots and stereotypes and prejudices. Filter, it's like a filter, right? It's like my Snapchat filter, and all of a sudden, I'm like a puppy with my tongue sticking out. No, that doesn't work that way, right? We have to start to believe what we actually see, not what we've already told ourselves to see. It's hard. It's hard to relearn. And so when Jesus talks to Nicodemus about being born again, if you're born again, you're born again, not just spiritually, but you start to relearn the way that the kingdom works, not just the way that the world works. And so in this picture up here, we have Kirsten, right, the one that God is asking me to go after of others, right? And so Kirsten has this story, and his mom is an integral part of this story because he lost his mom when he was one. So although she's not present, she will always influence everything in his life. And so now he lives with his grandma, Miss Connie. I love her. I do not want to be her. There's a nursery rhyme. There was an old woman who lives in a shoe. She had so many children. She didn't know what to do. She has so many kids because the cycle of generational poverty has just created this thing where she's got 
kids upon kids upon kids. And so she's got Kirsten, who would be in fifth grade at the end of this year. Unfortunately, he's already dropped out of school, running around the streets. He's dealt with people in his life abandoning him, being put in jail, dealing drugs. His cousin was actually shot uh, earlier this year, unarmed by a police officer. There's this thing that's going on, and Kirsten's just one of hundreds of kids that need help. And the system is not set up for Kirsten to succeed. The cycle is doomed to repeat itself unless we break the cycle. And so here's the thing. I know that a lot of us in the room probably think it's a choice, right? That we make these choices, that we, that if he just really wanted to, he could make the choice. But, but in many ways, the choice was already made for him before he was ever even born in some ways. Just, just by chance, born into that cycle. And here's the thing, even though we might point the finger at, at that at times and, and say he needs to make better choices, uh, Jesus demonstrated his love for us, that when we were still sinners, he died on the cross for us. He broke the cycle of sin for us. And so regardless of what we think, we have to model our lives after Christ, and it's on us to then help break the cycle of sin for others' sake, right? In Ezekiel, when the poor and the oppressed were hurting and the priests and the prophets were not taking care of them, God was mad and he said, I looked for someone to stand in the gap, but I found no one. And our response as the church has to be to stand in the gap. And, and so we do that through mentoring and reading programs and feeding programs, but ultimately it's just to be present, just to be present to respond to the pain right? But for you, it could look like a million different things, right? There's other ministries here like Lavish or Children's Hunger Fund or, or whatever it might be. There's so much going on that these aren't just stats, but these are real stories that I just learned from living life down there, ranging from the inequalities in our schools to, to the, the criminal justice system and, and how it's biased and unfair at times. And, and if you try to go to a hospital, how difficult it is to get access to affordable health care or ultimately just to have a house, to find an affordable house to live in and those are big you know generalized things so I'll tell you the story of my friend Ben who lives right next door to me pulled into his driveway right next to mine last uh two weeks ago right didn't turn on his uh turn signal I don't know how many people in here turn on their turn signal turn in their driveway I know I don't so I am guilty uh but Ben is a black man in our community and so the cops pulled in behind him shined the light immediately walked up to the car and put a gun to his forehead. And Ben is an amazing, amazing man. And it doesn't matter how dangerous our neighborhood is. Nobody deserves that. And so in that, we need things to change. It doesn't have to be this way. But one of the ways it did become this way is in the 1900s, one last story. There was a shift in the church. There was a shift. They called it the Great Reversal. So for 1,900 years after Christ, the church was among the poor and for the poor and with the poor and loved the poor. And all of a sudden, they felt like we have to, we have to retreat. We have to reverse things. We have to sort of take care of ourselves and, and kind of distance ourselves from that type of stuff. And so that what ended up happening is the country had to respond in so many of the social programs and 
welfare and those things that many of us in this room don't particularly care for or like because they're broken and flawed. I'm not here defending them at all. But what I am saying is we can't blame the world for being the world, but we can start to blame the church for not being the church. That was just the world's response to the church not being what it was supposed to be. And so the church has to quit retreating and start to re-engage with the poor and with the city and with the problems. We have to start to be the change that we want to see in the world. It's time for us to respond and start to rewrite some stories. So I'm going to end with this. I was sitting in these seats, just like everyone in here. But you cannot hear or see stories if you stay in these seats. It's only accomplished when you go out and you live and love people in the streets. Your streets, my streets, our streets. So just like Jeremy said, Jesus would have told us, just like the Father sent me, now I'm sending you. Go and do likewise. Thank you. There are uh, approximately a thousand people a month. I don't know if you know this. A thousand people a month moving to San Antonio. Uh, about 24, anywhere from twenty to twenty-four thousand people a year. Uh, and the church uh, has the opportunity to uh, be life and light to this city. Uh, in the 1900s, uh, the founder of our denomination started a uh, commissary for uh, the people in Los Angeles uh, that were going through the Great Depression, and that commissary continues on, and they have this amazing ministry called the Dream Center that uh, is taking care of people. They're doing what the church is supposed to be doing. And it's, it's hard for us because we, we want to respond out of kind of this sense of, um, I've got to do something about this. And I think we would be, um, I think it would be a mistake for us to just say, well, I've, I've, got, to, I've got to do, I've got to help. I, Charlie, what can I come, come and do? And I think maybe the best response is, is what Charlie's talking about is to just listen, to listen to the, to the stories, to listen to our neighbors, to listen to what's going on in this city that we live in. Um, Charlie's right that politics are not going to solve this problem, um, but certainly not being informed and, uh, and not voting doesn't help it either. <laughs> You know, 11% of our population voted in this last city election. 11% of 2 million people. And now there's a runoff and there's uh, council member runoffs and stuff. And I'm not, I'm not making any sort of political statement other than to just say, as, as Christ followers, we have a responsibility to vote for our elected officials. As Christ followers, we have a responsibility to be the church for our city. And, and I, can, I can tell you that uh, as a pastor, there's this growing movement of churches um, that's really led up by uh, Ed Newton at uh, CBC, who's pulling some of us pastors together and just saying, what can we do as the church, not just any one church, but as the church to, to love on our city? And, and sometimes it's, it's not doing anything, it's listening 
It's hearing the stories, and then it's coming to people like Charlie and other organizations that are actually living there to make a difference and, and come along and support them. I can't imagine the amount of emotional um, toll that it would take uh, to continue to just press in and hear the stories and to be a part of the challenge. So thank you, Charlie, for doing that. And uh, I, know, I happen to know that they'll, uh, they'll be taking a break in July and just kind of decompressing and hearing from the Lord. God, what is it that you're doing next in our lives? So uh, I want us to pray. I want us to pray for SA Heals. I want us to pray for our city and for our elected officials. Uh, Father, we, we come before you uh, and first and foremost, God, I, I pray for Charlie and Jen Foles, their family. God, I pray for your strength and your patience, God, as, as this whole process, this, even from the beginning of this ministry of what you've stirred up uniquely in them, God, that uh, it is a, uh, it's a marathon. This isn't a sprint. And, and Lord, I pray for your continued endurance, your continued strength in their life. God, I thank you for his friendship and his willingness to just sometimes listen to me and, and listen to my story. And uh, Lord, I pray blessings over them and, and SA Heals, God, as they continue to do your work, as they continue to love on people uh, in the east side. Uh, God, I pray for our city, the city of San Antonio. I pray for our mayor. I pray for our council members, God, and, and although there may be things that we don't agree uh, all uh, on, God, there, what we can agree on is that you have called us to lift up and pray for our elected officials, and so we do, God. We, we pray that uh, there's wisdom, uh, that, that, that we don't, we pray, God, that we would uh, have opportunities as the church to come alongside and work with them. Uh, in, in addressing the story of our city. Uh, God, let us not be people who just disagree and then stick our head in the sand. Let us be a people who, uh, who make a difference, not just in the world, but in this city, the city of San Antonio. It's easy for us to look at Columbia and say, oh yeah, I'll be a part of that. I'll go and do that. And sometimes it's, it's hard or, or more difficult to just walk across the street. Let's be a people who hear the stories of our neighbors. And let's be a people who not just hear the story, but then respond in love and grace and prayer. God, we, we surrender to you this morning. We say, God, would we be ambassadors to the city that we live in? In Jesus' name, amen.